for you, my love. <laughs> hey guys, you're listening to Metal Matters a weekly Gimme Radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. I feel like it's inevitable that you and I were going to do one of these, Mike. We're, we've done, we do the Necromaniacs podcast, which mm-hmm. is a horror-based podcast. And uh, I met you first when you were, uh, you had... Brooklyn Monster Factory. Uh-huh. In Park Slope. The excellent comic book, t-shirt, movies, like all the cool stuff. That's how we, we met each other back in 2006. And then we realized we had a couple things in common. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the things we had in common was our love for hardcore and punk and extreme music. And the other thing we had in common was that we played in bands. Correct. And yes. I, 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 was, I knew of Inhuman. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, it was mentioned to me that you were Mike from Inhuman, and this was your comic book store. <laughs> yeah, me, me, it was me and my brother John. We yeah. were uh, co-owners of the Brooklyn Monster Factory. Uh, that was it was a great little run, man. We had the store for four years, and we got kind of uh, kicked in the ass by the uh, the recession back then. But it was a great time. We 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 made friends uh, aside from you, friends that we which we still have today, and you know it was just really cool great way to meet people on top of you know selling comics and reading comics oh yeah hanging out and uh yeah man and uh now i have uh another band uh called the last stand which i do with the uh the guys from shutdown which is uh my brother mark's band a lot of music in the scandalo family so uh sometimes it's a little hard to keep up but uh yeah i'm really happy to be here man i i love your podcast uh and thank you for having me Nah, it's my pleasure, man. And uh, also, Comic Day, new Comic Day at at um, <laughs> at Brooklyn Monster Factory became like an all night thing. I yeah, remember. I know. You would come down, and, and Loot <laughs> from Sick of It All would come in, and uh, people would just hang out there until the store closed, or much later than the store closed. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was really cool. We'd watch movies, and you know, watch horror on DVDs, and you know, it was it was a lot of fun, man. I miss those days. Another great memory too is uh, I remember I came in like on a Saturday one time, and that's you know that's kind of a dead sort of day I guess mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that Cannibal Corpse uh, DVD set yeah the documentary yes and we we watched pretty yeah, much the whole thing yeah you know I was like my Saturday <laughs> afternoon was hanging out at the shop still one of the best music documentaries uh, ever for, oh yeah, for Death Metal I, Man. yeah. since then I I I own it I own oh it me now. too I own it too it's <laughs> yeah. great it's a great one man it's only fitting. That tonight's episode is uh, dedicated to a Brooklyn original, Typo Negative. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm a carpetbagger out here in Brooklyn. I'm not from <laughs> Brooklyn originally. I'm from the suburbs. And Mike was born and raised in Brooklyn. Yes. And uh, had an opportunity to witness basically the formation of this band. Mm-hmm. You know, the transformation from Carnivore into Typo Negative. And, um, you know, that's why I invited Mike on to give a, uh, a sort of street-level um, insight into uh, Typo Negative and uh, what we both consider to be a groundbreaking record for them, their debut record, Slow, Deep, and Hard. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. Um, it's cool. It's just, they're one of those bands that I think, especially as a Brooklyn, you know, kid coming up that really just kind of raised the bar and set the standard, you know, um, people think of, you know, they think of like typo negative and maybe biohazard and life of agony. And then maybe a little later on, you'll go Marauder and band like indecision. Um, but typo negative is, is the Brooklyn band They're, They They got biggest, you know, yeah. International gold record, platinum record. I mean, they just kind of are the band that pretty much everybody looks up to. And, you know, a lot of bands kind of maybe not aspire to sound like them, but aspire to to their greatness, you know? Yeah, they were a major band in the 90s. Mm -hmm, absolutely. You know, right yeah. up there, you know, with like Pantera. And, yeah, yeah. And like at a time when metal was kind of dead, really, if you think mm -hmm. about it. Met, like metal in like a commercially in the viable commercial sense. Way. Right, exactly. You know, grunge was happening. Death metal was yeah, happening. Death metal was, mm -hmm. was happening. But like as far as like uh, you know commercial success, metal was on the fringes. Yeah, and really, in my opinion, I feel like you know typo negative and Pantera kind of kept it alive. Really, definitely. I mean, taking you know grindcore, death metal out of the picture, um, as far as you know, the the bigger level. Yeah, they were definitely. I think the two bands that really kind of carried that torch and just did so well at that time uh, and it was a weird time people like to say oh no there was this happening that happening and, and there was but you know when, when you look at the bigger picture uh metal wasn't an odd place for a good a good chunk of the 90s yeah i even feel like more the more extreme end of metal too isn't as big as it is now yes you know see what I mean? the perception is that it was but it not at all i mean you and i go to the shows and in New York over the last 10, 15 years. And honestly, I think there's double to triple the amount of people at, at a death metal show now than there was in the very early 90s. So Yeah, because yeah. back in, the, in those days, you'd have to load the bill up with like, mm -hmm. you know, there'd be these uh, package bills with, you know, like Morbid Angel obituary. Right, you know, right. And, and now it's, it's weird because sure enough, that's kind of back yet again. So it's, it's, you know, that, that scene has come full circle, yeah. but then you had a band like typo negative who didn't, who didn't fit almost anywhere. Right. I yeah, mean, they had they, their own thing. Completely. They were their own animal. I mean, you have, you have like a, a thrash crossover, doom, industrial, gothic monster. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, especially the, the first record, which is what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Uh, slow, deep and hard. You know, and there's also that uh, patented uh, dark sense of humor that the band yes, had, too. Yes, exactly. I, and that's what I think really set them apart from a scene that is pretty pretty serious. You know mm, what I mean? Yeah, pretty, totally, pretty totally. On, on, you know, no no humor. Pretty humorless serious, uh, you know, scene in general. In the early 90s in, in England, you know, you had like the, the big three. You had My Dying Bride, Anathema, and Paradise Lost. And there was no humor in any of those bands no. whatsoever, you know. And then Brooklyn, we had typo negative. So, yeah. <laughs> Give a quick rundown. So the release date of Slow, Deep, and Hard, according to the intel that I have, mm -hmm. is June 16th, 1961. Uh, 91. I'm <laughs> release date 
June 16th, 1991. And this is a Road Racer release. Right. Though it is part of the overarching Road Runner record label. Yeah, they started using the Road Runner name, I believe, in 92, early 93. So, yeah, this was Road Racer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember the great ad for this record with the, you know, big picture of Pete and uh, like little pictures of the other, you know, the rest of the band on the side and. Very cool advertisements for this this record at the time in the uh, Metal Mags. Program length, 58 minutes, 31 seconds. A relatively long record oh, yeah. for that period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, recorded at six, recorded at System 2, mm-hmm. Brooklyn, New York, yeah. 1989. Engineered by Michael Marciano. Mm-hmm. Mastered by Michael Sarsfield. Sarsfield. Interesting thing about uh, Systems 2, um, you know, we're, uh, we're recording this in South Brooklyn, and Systems 2 was moments from, from where I lived growing up and, and kind of where I live now. Uh, back then, it was on uh, Avenue U and uh, Nostrand Avenue, and then uh, years later, it moved over to uh, Ditmas Avenue in South Brooklyn, and then uh, unfortunately, in, in 2018, the, the studio closed for, for good. They did, a, they did a lot of records there actually all sorts of music too but uh pete loved it there and the band loved it there they did a lot of their you know stuff there if not their entire catalog at uh systems too yeah it's a hard business these days man it's recording you know Mm. and it was you know old school you know traditional studio studio exactly and uh yeah it's funny growing up like it never dawned on me just how close it was until I was a little older. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so great. <laughs> <laughs> so the guys that played on the record, we had Pete Steele on vocals and bass, Kenny Hickey, guitars, backing vocals, Josh Silver, keyboards, backing vocals, and the original drummer, Sal Abruscato on drums, Yes, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, credited on this record is the Benson Hoist Lesbian Choir. Yes, the Benson Hoist Lesbian mm-hmm. Choir. It's see, that's the humor, man. <laughs> you know, which is basically the guys in the band. It's the band, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the basic track listing is uh, the blood side is unsuccessfully coping with the natural beauty of infidelity. Very mm-hmm. long song title. Der un, Der Untermensch. Mm-hmm. Zero tolerance with an X. The Fireside is Prelude to Agony, Glass Walls of Limbo, The Misinterpretation of Silence and Its Disastrous Consequences. Which is a minute of silence. Mm -hmm. Gravitational Constant. The thing that really grabs me about this record is, um, you know, well, first of all, the songwriting is incredible. Oh, yeah. Right. There is a very heavy dose of dark humor on this record. That mm-hmm. borders on absurd. Yes, I think yes, at times, absolutely. Yet, the intricacy in which this entire concept record was crafted is pretty unbelievable. It really is. I mean, it was written by a guy in his you know mid late twenties, completely composed musically and lyrically by Pete, and you know he was coming at the, at the end of Carnivore. He uh, basically. Uh, around uh, the beginning of 1989, Carnivore plays its last show uh, for a little bit. Uh, and it's an infamous show in February, uh, February 24th, 1989 at Lamore called Negative Night. 
and it was Carnivore headlining with Sheer Terror right under them, uh, Biohazard, who were fairly new at the time. They'd come out in around 88. This is the beginning of 89. And a band called Toxemia, who was the opening band. They were another South Brooklyn, like, thrash crossover band. But there's a lot of synergy on this bill because with Toxemia, it's, it's Sal, who went on to be in Typo Negative. He's the drummer of that band. And he was uh, a drum student of Louis Abito, the drummer of Carnivore. So that's that's interesting factoid. And then uh, Biohazard is on second. Pete Steele actually gave Biohazard their name and was tight with those guys. And Evan, the uh, singer bassist of Biohazard, was like a Carnivore roadie back then. Another, you know, Brooklyn, you know, incestuous kind of thing going on. And then, of course, you have Sheer Terror, who are just probably the most like negative of all like the CBGBs like late 80s bands not a lot of those bands played Lamore but Sheer Terror managed to play Lamore with a lot of frequency back then and they had a great New York City fan base and a great Brooklyn fan base and then of course Carnivore it had this very fitting name <laughs> Negative Night I was 15 at the time Negative Night was supposed to be one of the first times I was supposed to go to Lamore I was already going to CB's, mind you, okay? Going to the Lower East Side in the late 80s. I was unable to go to that show. I think I was like in trouble or something, and I could not go. My first show at that club, uh, Lamore, wound up being about three months later. It was a biohazard show. And I remember I was so pissed. I remember that like that Monday I was talking to my friend Joel about it, and he was like, oh man, this was one of the most violent things I've ever seen in my life. Like, it was a crazy, crazy night. Um, but yeah, right right after that, Carnivore is kind of done. And uh, Pete, you know, picks up with Sal, uh, picks up with his old bandmate, Josh Silver. Josh, uh, the keyboard player of Typo, was in Fallout with Pete in the early 80s when they were really young. Yeah, Fallout, that demo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you the and I both have that. Hard, yep. We both mm-hmm. have that rock hard demo or seven inch. It's a, yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's like uh, basically like a post-punk band. It's very odd. Yeah, it's really yeah. different. I mean, even then you could like, again, the songwriting and like the style, like it's just such a, an odd little uh, moment of music. And that band, they just put out that one EP and then they kind of, you know, broke up and then Pete forms carnivore right after that diametrically opposite yeah, sound wise you know he's always in motion that's the cool thing about pete Steele back then i mean he's always doing something you know musically he's kept starting new bands um and uh you know with kenny hickey on guitar and that that kind of completes this new band which uh back then was actually the very first name they had was called new minority and I remember this because uh, back then, uh, the drummer, Sal, had a recording studio, uh, actually rehearsal studio, on Quentin Road and 34th Street called Counterpoint. And my band back in high school uh, used to rehearse at that studio. And that's how I met Sal. And I, I'll never forget this. He says, hey, you like Carnivore? I says, yeah. He goes, I'm, I'm doing a new band with that singer, Pete. I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. You want to hear some of it? Oh, no way. And, I rem- and he, he played me. Like a jam, like a, you know, like a rough kind of jam of what was the the repulsion, you know, demo kind of, you know, before it was really recorded. And I was like, wow, this is really 
different. This is really cool. Was it a lot of the same songs that ended up being on stage? I mean, it, this is a long time ago. This yeah. is the beginning of, of, let's see. Well, this is like in the late summer of 89, uh, beginning of 90. Um, I mean, I, I might have heard just some really dirgy, like, like you know, moments of it and i just didn't know what to make i was like wow this doesn't really sound like carnivore you it know might, it might even have been like pre-production right exactly record, exactly you know? and um one day uh, i got to the studio uh, a little early uh before the, the guys in the band i was in were there and they were rehearsing um, new minority was rehearsing and I just remember watching them and like seeing Pete Steele. I was just like super intimidated. Yeah, like, dude's like, who was, he was like this big, muscular, yeah, yeah. Tall. And like kind of all four of them. I was kind of intimidated by all of them. I'm yeah. like 15. I maybe just turned 16. I was just like, wow. This is, and it was so loud and so heavy. And I was like, holy shit. Like this band is going to be awesome, you know? And they eventually settle on the name Repulsion instead of a new minority. They changed the name. And that March of 1990, uh, March 23rd, they play their first show. As and, Repulsion. As Repulsion. And it was an interesting bill. It was uh, American Eagle opened. It was like a, they were like a South Brooklyn uh, oi hardcore band. Uh, the Icemen, oh, okay. one of yeah. the CB's bands, Short was on. Yeah, yeah. They were, they were awesome. Yeah. They were the second band. Everybody, me and my friends were all fans of theirs. And Repulsion, three-band bill. And uh, yeah, that it was wild. <laughs> I have to say, like they did, they did a good chunk of the the demo, and they did um, Jesus Hitler and Race War and Predator, and yeah, it was it was great. You keep mentioning, uh, you know, that was the CB's band, and and for, you know, some people out there might not be familiar CBGB's band, yeah, yes. like, but they might not really be familiar with the difference between, say, Lamore's band and a mm -hmm. cb's band or the difference between brooklyn and manhattan like yeah i mean time. basically i had the luxury of of having friends that were a little older that took me to a, my first matinee i was like 14 and you know we were all south brooklyn kids we all were from sheepshead bay actually and we would travel to cb's every sunday and you had your cb's bands you had sick of it all rest in pieces bold youth today sheer terror the ice men Super touch, blah blah blah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, look at the compilations of the way it is, and you know, like Revelation Records, like those kind of bands. That was like the CB's scene. Brooklyn had its own thing going on. It was a little rougher around the edges, let's just say, especially by around '88, '89. Uh, Brooklyn had uh, Biohazard. It had Carnivore, who you know, on the type of negative, uh, a little bit. Later, you have uh, Life of Agony. You have which you shares know, a member Sal. Yes, who yeah. who Sal went on to quit Typo Negative after Bloody Kisses because Pete didn't want to tour that much, and he he joins Life of Agony permanently. Um, it's just you, it was a different kind of vibe, and other Brooklyn bands, a band called uh, Mr. Pickle, they were kind of like a Murphy's Law kind of band, uh, Social Disorder. Um, it was a different kind of vibe. And, I, you know, I had a, a band when I was a kid back then with John from Candiria. We were called Close Call. Um, just a, bit, a little different thing going on. Stylistically, like I said, I think it was probably just a little more rougher, maybe a little more dirtier, you know? Yeah. But 
like I said, I had mentioned Sheer Terror before. They they had they were traveled in both kind of circles. You and know? Chromax too. Also exactly, exactly. Chromax yeah. played Lamore a lot. You know, certain other bands of that era never really played the club, so it was kind of yeah. kind of weird. Um, but I grew up going to both. I mean, it was just such a great time back then. You know, going to Lamore on a Friday or Saturday, and then going to CB's on Sunday. It was just, it was great. You know, and also Lamore was getting like, like the international bands that played there, right. like you know, Metallica, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, they were before, but. Uh, I got to see Slayer in 1990 at yeah. Lemoore. I mean, that was unreal. You know, Suicidal played there for uh, Lights, Camera, uh, Bad Brains, Quickness Tour. I mean, I saw like marquee bands. And back then, uh, Repulsion, they got on a lot of, you know, good shows uh, up until, uh, it's funny, Lemoore ends up closing in May of 91. And uh, Pete Steele announces from the stage, we're typo negative now. You know, it's 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 the name of the week because they had gotten wind of the death metal repulsion that already had an album out, and you know, I guess not everybody knew about everybody back then. You know what I'm saying? Oh well, like, yeah, information was exactly uh, exactly very slow. With a know? South Brooklyn band with a demo, no, all about a death metal band from the Midwest, maybe not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, so they had to change the name for a very hot minute. They had the name Sub-Zero, unbeknownst to them, about the hardcore band Sub-Zero, and they had to change that, and then they settled on Typo Negative, which, let's face it, was a smart choice. <laughs> yeah, none of those names, I think, would have had like the mass appeal. Like, yeah, you know, Typo Negative. You, th- you think about what Typo ended up doing, like playing like Vakken and mm-hmm. you know, Vakken Open Air Festival and doing all this great, you know, huge things, like... Somehow, I don't feel like Repulsion or or New New Minority. No, yeah, no, really no. Flew, they they know? the name was the name. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, but the funny thing is, like you know, they'd always like joke that we all had these damn negative symbols on us since like 1990. You know, it's like we, we had to have a name that fit these these symbol. You know, the yeah. negative symbol. So it was just kind of fortuitous. <laughs> the sound of the record too. Uh, I mean, I, I, I obviously didn't come to typo negative as early as you did. It mm-hmm. took me maybe 90, 96, mm-hmm. like when October, October Rust came yeah. out, that's yeah. like when I, my first introduction into the band. And I remember at the time I was living in Boston and one of my roommates, uh, was a big biohazard fan, a big typo negative fan. And mm-hmm. he, he came, came across with the, the October Rust record, and I was like, oh, that was pretty cool, you know. Then he played me this one. Mm. And I was like, this is definitely it's more... Not, it's, yeah, if you hear October Rust first, and then later on you hear the first record, it's like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, it's really, like, night and day. Yeah, and then I went backwards, because I, st- mm. I hadn't heard of Carnivore, really. Oh, I mean, interesting. You know. Wow, okay. And okay. Then, I, then I discovered Carnivore, and then he's like, oh, if you like that, you should check out the, you know, the band, of the earlier band, Carnivore. And I was like, yeah. This, and this is, like, all, like, 90s. So what did you think of Carnivore? It was awesome, because, yeah. like, I was way into <laughs> Celtic Frost. And, yeah, yeah. And I, I picked up right away on, like, the Celtic Frost sort of... Venom. Venom. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that, you know, I, that's, that was my, you know, when I was, like, in high school. Right listening to like you know wxci metal shop like celtic frost venom you know uh that kind of thing was like very much within the vocabulary of like metal that i had especially uh the carnival first record to me i listened to it 
I hear Venom so much on yeah. it. And Pete was a big Venom fan, apparently. So they were an inspiration to the band. And then, you know, Pete finds the hardcore scene in between the first Carnival record and Retaliation. And then the reflection on that is there. You know, it's just kind of it's yeah. such a wild story. In, in an era when the hardcore bands were going metal. Yes. Here's a metal band from Brooklyn going hardcore. So strange. Like, no one was doing that, except for them. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're one of the bands that get tagged with the crossover. Yeah, no, tag. absolutely. But an, another thing that kind of pushed that forward was, um, at the time, Carnivore Agnostic Front had the same manager. A lot of these bands on like that combat road racer scene, you know, uh, were intertwined in, in some way on the label side, the distribution side, business side. And it had turned out that that uh, AF uh, needed a, a drummer, Agnostic Front, and enlisted Louie from Carnivore, and uh, they needed some help on the on their record, which was going to be their second record, Calls for Alarm. And Pete Steele was a fan of Agnostic Front and ended up writing some of the the lyrics on that record. And it's funny because, you know, he's uncredited on that record. Right, right. And it's just, you know, people, you've, I remember hearing about this years later because I was too young in, in 84, 85, 86. And I was always like, wow, he did? Like, I always thought that was such a, a crazy fact, you know? But then it kind of made sense as I heard Retaliation. Retaliation came out in 87. I heard it around 89, I believe. So... I was like, okay, this all kind of makes sense. And then you you take the lyrics on some of Slow, Deep, and Hard, and then it really all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. totally. You know, and, and there was a big thing in Decibel with um with the cause for alarm. Yeah, yes, the and, making and of. I mm -hmm. found that so fascinating. Yeah, it really, really was. It was a great, great article. How cause for alarm? I mean, it could have been it could have been a carnivore album. <laughs> it really <laughs> could have. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, crazy, right? And and that's coincidentally one of my favorite AF records. Yep. It's my second favorite. My my first favorite is Victim in Pain. Yeah, that is my number two, hundred percent. So yeah, Victim in Pain just because of, of how raw and oh, at the yeah. time I never and heard like every like song that. is just like wow. It's just it's the birth to me, to me. It's like the real birth of New York hardcore, like that record. Um, but Pete, you know, was a young guy, his early twenties, and he he found that scene and he liked that scene a lot, and. It's funny because retaliation is is very. It's kind of. It's not like hardcore, hardcore. It has like hardcore moments, but it's just the vibe is there, you know. And I think the lyrically, there's no more of the the fantasy road warrior kind of thing on the first Carnival record. The retaliation is more reality and like you know going. I'm you know, depression and yeah, you know, anxiety personal, personal and issues. anger yeah. and definitely some of that carries into slow deep and hard and also on retaliation there's like these these like kind of breakdown parts yeah. in the songs too mm -hmm. yes very, yes that's that was when i think of retaliation i think of like the kind of slow breakdown parts on those records we, we record. called them mosh parts you know back so in the called day mosh yes. part mosh parts breakdown dance part Dan Mike. That was, you, I was, you know that was the first the thing three names yeah that was the first thing i was going to say dance parts but I, I wasn't sure how how if that was even a word <laughs> the kids use these days anymore about these things. i don't know if kids use it but like people are you know me and my friends kind of use it sometimes but yeah see people out there younger you might have just learned yes it was called dance parts sometimes <laughs>
sonically, mm-hmm. and, and this is funny as a you know kind of a guitar player. Uh, one of the things I noticed on uh, Slow Deep and Hard is the extreme use of the chorus and flanger on the guitars <laughs> oh, of these yeah, records, man. man. And that carried on throughout the typo career, really. Yeah, I gotta say, like, I think everybody plays their ass off on this record. Yeah. I mean, Kenny, Sal is a great drummer. Like, he's a beast on this, you know? Um, I think Kenny's playing is great. The keyboard moments are really cool and different. It's like, Sometimes keyboards can overpower things to the point of like annoyance, but typo, they, they always have it kind of just right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's, it's, a, it's a great part of the song, like an addition to the song and music. You know, it's not like this weird backdrop noise. It's like a perfect moment of the song. Also, we touched on it earlier about how many genres are kind of melded together on mm-hmm, this record. Yeah. And there's like the heavy use of samples. Mm-hmm. Uh, samples as rhythms. Yeah. Jackhammers yeah, and jackhammers. saws and girls moaning. And it's just, it's really wild. To me, it is just, it is so like the beginning of the 90s. Like this tape, it came out, well, you can backtrack a little bit. For those who, who may not know, uh, I, I would say a lot of Typo fans do know, Slow, Deep, and Hard, the album, is the Repulsion cassette demo, none more negative, with an extra track on it, which is Glass Walls of Limbo, and basically just kind of remastered, maybe maybe a slight remix, but it's the demo that they had for sale at their first show, which I still have to this day. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Um, but... It's it's funny. Uh, basically, they 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 got almost thir- like thirty grand from the label for a recording that they already made. <laughs> Isn't that unreal? Hey, Isn't that awesome? That's the nineties, man. Yes, when but there was money to throw around like that. Get, getting back to what I was saying about the nineties, it's like everything is new in a way. You know, like in in these heavy genres of music, like like industrial metal is is this new genre. You know, and like. Uh, like gothic metal is new and hardcore isn't really new anymore, but crossover hardcore is, is new ish, you know? Um, and to me, it's just like, like lightning in a bottle, you know, how they just kind of captured all of that in, in, in one recording and on one record. Yeah. And also the use of clean vocals too, mm. mixed in there with like the, the screaming vocals Yelling, and yep. more, more extreme yeah, vocals. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like in the song as a prelude to agony, there's like that cool, like synth intro, which goes on for a while. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then it just goes into this like evil, like guitar. And, and in, in 1991, you really weren't getting too much of stuff. No, like that. that no. was like a, a groundbreaking kind of like, you know, combination of elements really i've said this before you know to to friends of of mine and mutual fans of the band i i've still yet to hear a record like this record i've heard records like bloody kisses maybe and october rust and i've heard bands that do that kind of gothic metal thing like more european bands and moonspell kind of went from being kind of like more of a black metal band to kind of sounding a little more like the later type or negative but when it comes to this first record, 
I've never heard another band sound like this first record. Yeah, when I think of gothic metal, I definitely think of Europe, Europe, the European mm-hmm. bands. And this is like an American version of it, but then also add in the Brooklyn factor. Yes, the dirty yeah. city street factor. And who's no one's done that ever again, right? I mean, I, I guess I any band who tried to would be would be instantly compared to Typo Negative. But you would think someone would have made something a little more along these lines, but not really, unless it's out there and I've never heard it. But I've always thought that that's what's made this record so great, is that it kind of stands alone. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, some some of the, what are some of your favorite tracks on the record? Honestly, I mean, it's hard. I love the fact to... that I can go into certain bars in Brooklyn, and on the jukebox, if unsuccessfully coping comes on. Half the bar screams, I know you're fucking someone else. <laughs> that is, to me, is just great and awesome. And as a Brooklyn native, I get a special pride out of hearing that. Um, that's one of my favorite. And, you know, uh, Gravity, Unjustifiable Existence, that's that's another favorite. For a hot minute when I was in high school, uh, I had a band with uh, with Rich O'Brien from Darkside called Existence, and I got the name from this. From that so, song. you know, I always yeah. thought that was a great yeah, song. Yeah, it runs deep out here, you know? Yeah, like, no, I mean, come on. Exactly. Sure. So, uh, I, I, I like every moment of it. I And when it came out, and I'd heard that Glass Walls of Limbo, I was like, oh, they, they've, they've had this live before. Like, that was something they would play uh, sometimes before they got on stage uh, at a lot of shows. So it was kind of funny that they they tacked it onto the album. I thought that that was actually really cool. That's a track that is not on the demo. So, yeah. One of my favorite, well, Prelude to Agony is probably one of my two favorite Mm. songs on this record. I mean, the whole record's great. And and honestly, I kind of feel like you should listen to this as one piece. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because of the story. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's like a story. at the very end. Yes, I agree. I would agree with that. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's like a concept album. You know what I mean? In in it, it is right. Would you say? In a way, it is. I mean, what's really funny is at some point in my life, I met the guy who was fucking. I guess the girl that Pete Steele was was really upset about. In the I know you're fucking someone else. The the guy that the girl met at Lamore Saturday night, as they say in the song. Uh huh. Yes, I met this guy. Really? Not, I refuse to say who he is. It, it's all right. But <laughs> maybe you can tell me off off air here. You know, as far, and I then, probably don't know who he is. And then I had two or three other people confirm. Yep. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. But that's funny. what I mean. It's it's like Years a, later, a drama. Like this it whole is a drama. thing. Yeah. It really is. It's like, and that whole album is basically inspired by this event that happened to Pete Steele in his life. It's like a real-life event. Yes, I would say so. The only, like, sidestep would be the Der Untermesh because that is kind of not a part of the the angry kind of revenge story. It could be just kind of part of just the the the, the storyteller's anger at the world, right? Yeah, you know? that, well, that's how I read it. I read it exactly. Like, okay, yeah, you yeah. know, because it's like you, you know, you think about some of my some of our favorite characters, like you know, Travis Bickle. Or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, there's a lot of like ancillary things that happen in the story mm-hmm. that aren't directly results of the horrible thing that happened, but they're still part of the story. And I kind of feel like that, you know, that 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 outbur- outburst of anger and frustration is just 
sort of a, a byproduct of of the infidelity. You know what I mean? And uh, I think I think you're 100 percent right. And it is interesting years later, almost 30 years later, to think of this record as a story. It kind of puts it in, in a very different light because uh, the band got in a lot of trouble when they went to Europe with it, with this record. Maybe not not so much in America. But the, the lyrics really got put under the microscope when they hit Europe uh, in late 91. And uh, Pete also got a lot of flack for the, the carnivore lyrics and the AF lyrics. And like in the press, he, you know, he had to do a lot of like explaining and, and this and that. And they got some flack for it. He was called racist, misogynist and this and that. And hey, I guess I could I could see it. You know, if you don't like know who he is, and to me, I guess I don't know. I, I live in the tunnel of being from Brooklyn, right, and being a South Brooklyn person, and being there for their their first show, and seeing the band twenty something times. Yeah. But, you know, between their beginning and end, you know what I'm saying. Um, and I don't like see it that way, but I could see how other people would see it that way, you know, especially uh, people not familiar with sarcasm, with, you know, New York City, 80s, kind of 90s vibes. You know what I'm saying? It's just very different for other people. Yeah, that's the thing, a lack of context, mm-hmm. I think, is what, what, you know, I mean, I, I, I remember reading the same things about about Pete Steele and Typo Negative and, the, you know, the, the, the backlash and, yeah. you know, and... and, and you know the european thing you know especially in germany yeah think, no you know, yeah they got like, a lot of shit they're very sensitive about things like that and um yeah but once again it's like you know this is like a rec- almost like a recurring theme in this day and age about context mm-hmm. and not and sarcasm you know basically using using sarcasm using irony in in a true way not in like a very, not in a surface way in which right. irony was being used. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, appreciating the band in that sense, you know, it's it's like you, you can kind of like understand like, okay, well, this is like, because I think because the record is like almost like cinematic, really. I mean, yeah, yeah. Not, not to sound, I mean, it sounds corny to say it's cinematic, mm-hmm. but it is because it tells a story. And if you watch a movie, you know, you know, it's not like say you watch Taxi Driver, right? Mm-hmm. And you, um, that doesn't make uh, you know Martin Scorsese a, a sociopath. You know what I mean? Or racist, even though a lot of his films have topics like that in there. They deal with racism and like you know, it was of its time. It was of its time. You know. And the thing is, though, although Pete had to do a lot of clarifying, he he did also say back then that you know what, I am a working class guy. And I, I have always worked hard, and my parents did instill in me certain values. And he said things like, I am not a punk rocker. I am not anti-government. I am not anti-police. Like, he'd be like, this, this is this is how I feel about certain things, too. He goes, you know, yeah. you have to kind of respect my opinion on certain things, you know? No, well, that's 100% true, and that's yeah. also one of the things, especially today, mm-hmm. where you just, it's like, I mean... This it's good. It's kind of cool. We're talking about this record because so much of this is is magnified. Yes, in yeah. Today, in today's day and age, mm-hmm. where you know the the kind of woke culture, right? Has it's like my perception of that is like it's a bunch of people who 
deny religion, but they take on a new religion called being woke or being political. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like the same things that a religious extremism uh, sort of superimpose on everyone. It's like, well, okay, you have to follow this like very strict guidelines. Otherwise, you're an infidel or something. Yeah, they they had a very hard time. Their tour uh, in Europe was with Pungent Stench in December of 91. They it barely lasted. They they got they they were home pretty fast. They were being it's like we're being called fascists. Oh man, and we're getting fascist tactics thrown against us. Like it was like it was. It's just it's very strange how it is mirroring certain things of today. You know, well that's been going on in Europe for ages. Really, yeah. I mean that's that's even before uh, you know the climate in this country sort of became like that. There's, you know, it's funny. I. I I've been over to Europe many times over the years, over the last you know decades, and and um, there's been not specifically with my band, but with bands that we've toured with, there's been like issues mm-hmm. with Antifa, like right, you know, and then the leaning on a promoter, and like it was in Nuremberg, and this promoter was leaned on because this the guy in one of the bands that we were touring with in a press photo had a Burzum t-shirt on. Oh man, that's ridiculous yeah. over a t-shirt. So yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's 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 like that. It's always been like that, right, I feel like, right. you know, in like the punk rock world or whatever and and uh the the real irony thing and I and I've said this before in a lot of different uh platforms is that you're fighting fascism with fascism. Yeah, really, and that's not know? good. Yeah. What does that do? I mean, if anything it creates a backlash, really. Exactly. And it's funny, they had a real crazy time with this record after it had come out. Um, Pete didn't want to tour. He, he wasn't really into touring. And they they went on a tour in November of 91. It was Biohazard, Typo, and The Exploited. It was supposed to be 30 dates. It lasted about a week and a half. <laughs> because there was like... Here, they were this, you know, long-haired, dewy band going on in front of crazy, exploited punk rock fans. Yeah, like, they were getting things thrown at them. And then on top of it, uh, uh, Waddy kept canceling shows left and right. There'd be a show, there'd be no show. There'd be a show, there'd be no show. And I think it lasted almost maybe two weeks, and the whole thing was, was shut down, and they went home. Wow. And then they went to Europe like suit after that and then that was another shit show so yeah th- this record was was not easy but then apparently after all of this the record started doing well in europe and america after all of this i would say due to all this controversy because there was a lot of press back then yeah no internet but yeah. a lot of zines, zines and yep. radio and metal magazines especially metal magazines in europe and in america so it's it's interesting, like the band almost like imploded, but all the negativity, this good things came out of it for them. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, well, another another track is uh, Zero Tolerance, which I really like. Yeah. It's got that great lyric, uh, I called your house, but you couldn't be reached. I took the D train to Brighton Beach. Beach. That was when, (laughs) back then, uh, it was the D and not the B as it is now. That's what I was going to mention. Exactly. Exactly. It was the D and Q. Yep. Now it is the B and Q that goes uh, in South Brooklyn. It it makes like a nice, like a kind of like a cool like time capsule. Oh, it does. And then on the origin of of the feces, which they put out in in 92, he gives another little D train, you know, shout. 
and uh, I believe in the uh, uh, Hey Joe. So yeah, <laughs> there, there's a lot of references to South hey, Brooklyn. Hey Peter, you know, mm. yeah, the, the, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. There's a lot of references to South Brooklyn throughout the lyrics of all. I mean, there's uh, my girlfriend's girlfriend. Yeah. I talk about King's, uh, King's Highway. Highway, which mm-hmm. is right close. You know, runs through South Brooklyn, and um, and yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, it, it's it's funny when you when the band was around and when Pete was alive, you know, you you're you kind of take it for granted. You know what I mean? In some ways. Yeah. What's funny about that is, is uh, the, the last tour, I missed the New York date. And I remember, I, I usually, I never missed their New York dates, but I missed the New York date of the last tour because I was like, oh, like, oh man, whatever. Well, I'll just see them next time. And there was no next time. Yeah. So yeah, that's the, I, I don't know if I, I wouldn't say I, I, completely took them for granted because i was at so many shows but in the end you know it was just like it was just so weird how like that would have been my last chance to see them so my real last chance that i saw them was somewhere in the the life is killing me touring cycle um or maybe at the be- if they had done two tours on dead again i'm not remembering right now but uh the final record dead again i actually absolutely loved uh, it was it's amazing uh, last record, but to me that one has the hints of the the first record yeah. because of, of the heaviness and the, the the fast parts. Well, well, they always yeah, it's it's they they always nod towards like the hardcore. Mm-hmm. There's always a couple of songs or moments, or at least moments, moments of right. moments and songs where mm-hmm. there's like this kind of like a, there'll be like a hardcore beat or right, like a right, fast right. guitar, you know, fast part. And I always appreciated that that there'd be these slow epic songs and then they would they would bust into like this kind of faster hardcore part hmm. with with like ironic humor you hmm. know what i mean and it, it kind of it's like when you first put it when you take any typo negative record for the first time you don't really know what the hell you're going to get sometimes right you know that the first track is going to be kind of like maybe a j- little bit of a, a joke, a joke right? track or or uh-huh. noise, yes, yes. No- you know, some kind of like nod, skipping you know, like or wink, noise. You know? or yes, exactly. But from that point on, you don't know if it's going to be like you know irony, like slow, heavy, dirgy kind of stuff, like epic kind of thing, fast, you know, hardcore influenced. And sometimes they they played they played it straight too on some mm, songs yeah. too. And those are the ones I, I, I love those ones too. Like anesthesia, I think mm-hmm. it's like, they play, it's a pretty straight song really. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful song. It's, it's a beautiful that's song. That's like the best, that's my favorite song on life is killing me. Yeah. Which is actually my least favorite album from them. Life is killing me. But that's one of their best songs. Um, but this record is interesting because I always feel like not a lot of people say this is their favorite in the scope of things. A lot of people seem to go October Rust, and now lately, a lot of people, a lot of love is on World Coming Down. I like which that record. Is a lot, one of actually. my other favorites. Yeah. But number one, my immediate is always this album, because it's just it's my introduction to the band. I had already was listening to the songs for over a year when the album came out, and I think it's brilliant that they were able to put the demo out as the album. Um, Basically, about about a thousand copies of this green cassette demo were made, um, and you know, I guess in the scope of things, <laughs> I mean, Roadrunner might not have done their homework because how do, how do you get a band right? You've heard their demo, 
You've seen them live. You've given them 30 grand to, to make an album. They hand you a record. And you knew they were going to re-record basically the songs from the demo, but you didn't realize that it was the demo. <laughs> hey, man, mastering, you know. That's, yes, unreal. The performances are the same. It's just, it's, I like that it's like this kind of scam. Like, yeah, you they scam the one. It was yeah. cool. Um, for <laughs> me, I think since, I mean, I did hear October Rust first. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I remember when that record came out, It was it, you saw it everywhere. There was like... You know, back in the day, you'd go to like Tower Records and you'd the big be like thorns, gigantic. yes, yes. Yeah, you'd mm -hmm. see that Poster. everywhere. The posters and that song, "Love You to Death," that that opening track, that's one of their best songs to me. I think that's an amazing song. Yeah, but I wasn't as impressed by that. But it, it was when I went back to this record, that's when it really sunk in and it made me a fan. Mm. You know, so that's why, you know, and and like I said, this this is like a groundbreaking record. Number one. And number two, on a personal level, it's it's what really hooked me into the band was this record. And I think hearing it at the time, I heard it as you know, sixteen year old kid. It just really spoke to me as an sure. angry Brooklyn kid back then, you know, yeah. um, angry hardcore kid, metal kid, and it just struck such a chord with me, you know. And it's just something throughout my life. It's just one of those those records that's just like wow. It just it takes me back to that time and place, you know. Yeah. And it's 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 more than like nostalgia. To me, it's just something. It's like a, it's like a life record. I call certain records life records, Mike. And this this is a life record yeah. for me. That's like I, Danzig One. Oh man. To me is a, is a life record. Yeah. Um, you know, Rain and Blood is a life record. Uh, I consider Dark Thrones, uh, Blaze in the Northern Sky, and Panzerfaust. Those are like two of my, my life records, you know? But, yeah, this, this record just has always meant a lot to me. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's uh, the thing that always impressed me about it was how, you know, in a good way, how absurd the story is. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, fun there's you can laugh at some of this right yeah. you see some people get too caught up in, in in some of the some of the negativity but i mean come on people singing i know you're fucking someone yeah. else at a random bar and is is that's hilarious you know and 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 couple that with the level of detail that this i mean the songs were i mean the way the way the whole thing was put together with the in, interludes mm, and like the yeah, you know yeah. it's like that's what really got me with 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 i mean in general a typo negative but with specifically with this album how you know each song fit into like i said in this storyline you know and it's an absurd story but someone but he still fucking sat down and wrote this shit out like he still yeah. put it wasn't like there was nothing throwaway about it about it you know what i mean no and it, there it is like, nothing throw there's no yeah see certain right look i'm i'm a big enough fan that i can say there's filler on some records and there's some songs that i don't like at all to me on this record there's nothing that's throwaway and there's nothing that i skip over this is a this is a this is like a 50 whatever minute i i listen to the album when i put this album yeah totally i don't the same way. listen to the song i listen to the album and i'm not bored you know, and I'm not like looking to, to find another track. It's just one big story. Yeah. You know, so you got, you know, I don't think I, we ever found out what any of your favorite tracks were. You said you liked. Uh, um, you know. Well, you know, uh, Unjustifiable Existence. I mean, I, I, I go by the, the, the shorter names. 
Uh, I know you're fucking someone else and unjustifiable existence are probably my two, my two faves. Yeah. Um, kill you tonight, you know, kill you. I, I mean, I don't know. I just gotta love it. It's man. hard to pick like a one favorite or it's just the whole damn thing really, you know? Um, the cool thing with glass walls of limbo, it's like, you feel like you're listening to like some kind of like, like Viking crossed with goth kind of chant thing. Like I always thought that was so cool, you know? I don't think I at the time I heard this I, that that was new too. A lot of this mm-hmm. like yeah, right. It exactly. wasn't really using like that kind of using those sounds and samples yep. like that was new. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and also like I prior to listening to the Typo Negative, I was familiar with My Dying Bride, mm-hmm. you know, and Paradise Lost. Right. And we also said that there was absolutely no humor. No. And also, when I first heard this record, I had that context to listen to it by. Right. Right. But it felt. It was like, oh, there's elements of that, but it's mm-hmm. like this this darker, grittier, you know, more street element to it mm-hmm. with and the first time I heard it, I was like, Wait, you know, is is this is this is this really what this guy's saying too? <laughs> but then I was like, Oh yeah, okay, I kinda get it. I get it. You know. Yeah. So Yeah, man. I mean, I this is this is a five star record for me, you know. Um like I said, I think over the years, I think the years have been have been pretty kind to this record, and I think it's kind of like like a timeless record. I know people who are more into hardcore uh, and don't really like the, the the output past this record, actually. Oh yeah, because um, it is more of a. But then I know yeah. people who are a little more kind of, you know, on the metal side that you know they like this record. It's not their favorite, but it's just you know differences of opinion, really. I just think it just depends on where you were when you heard it or maybe what age you were or what order you heard it, you know, would yeah, you say? I would think so, definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a, a remaster. This record came out in 2009 too, I think. Yes, yeah. yes. I don't have that. At one point, I wanted to check that. I mean, I think I've checked that out online. And honestly, I would only say the only, I mean, the only major difference might be some volume levels. There's no... There's no real difference. No extra um, tracks. No, no, no. Yeah. They they've never really done that. Um, uh, for let's see, in, in 2000, I believe 12 or 13, um, Roadrunner licensed "Slow Deep and Hard" to Metal Blade for a limited vinyl release. They did um, some on uh, green vinyl and some on black. Interesting story. I had my 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 black vinyl one, you know, that I'd had for like five years or whatever. And last year, uh, Kenny and Johnny Kelly from Typo did an in-store for the, uh, well, 2018 it was actually, a little over a year ago. November 2018, they did an in-store at Generation Records for the, uh, the triple record store day of Bloody Kisses. Oh, wow. So I brought some stuff to get signed. And I made a very silly mistake. I had uh, the Slow, Deep, and Hard in a box. And I put the box down, uh, like a record box, like yeah. LP, yeah. you know, like when you buy a record and it comes sure. in a box. Put it down for a moment. It was crowded in store. I turn around. It's gone. My record was stolen oh, by a typo negative fan at a typo negative in store. Oh. It's terrible, dude. I was so pissed. I was so upset because the record goes for like yeah. almost like a hundred bucks. The upside is that my buddy at Generation, a few months later, says, "Guess what has come in 
Someone sold us a copy of it. He goes, I don't think it was the person who stole yours, <laughs> but someone, I, I, we have it back. And, and, and I got my, I got my record back. I didn't get my original record back, but I got my slow, deep and hard vinyl back. So now I have it on vinyl. And now of course it's included in the, the box set uh, that came out in 2019, um, which I believe is sold out, but I'm seeing it available in some places. But um, currently, it is only available on CD and digitally. Like, you can't buy a standalone version of Slow Deep and Hard on vinyl. Uh, that Metal Blade one was just like this kind of one-time yeah, like thing. A limited sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, but I, I, I had it, lost it, and I got it back again. So, thank God. It's funny to think about how many great records are not in print, really. Hmm, on, like yeah. Vinyl, you know. Like we you know, a couple months back, we did a few months back, we did a Rollins Band uh, hard volume uh, episode. Yes, and most and of his early stuff, or almost all of it, I've noticed is not on vinyl. No. Yes, a yeah. lot of it, a lot it, of it. It's all is out of print, and it's like, you know, it's just I think it's definitely time where a lot of this stuff come out again, like gets repressed, you know, remastered, or you know, and and it should be available. Like these are classic records, especially this record. You know? And uh, it's funny. Um, Right now, it just came out, um, World Coming Down came out for the first time ever on vinyl. Yeah. That's well, that, never that's, been on vinyl. That's the other thing, too, is like that band, being in the 90s, that was like the CD era, you know. And early, two, like 2003, vinyl was dead. Yeah. Like, and that record came out um, in, well, 2000, 2003 is Life is Killing Me. Life is Killing Me has also never been on vinyl. So that's why when that box set came out last year, it was a big deal because it was the first vinyl appearances of, of a few typo records. So that was kind of cool. But I, I think that hopefully they get them all out individually again on vinyl. That would be great. Um, you know, hell, I'll buy them. Yeah. But I mean, uh, there's definitely. Yeah. Candy. I mean, this record, the Metal Blade pressing sounds really good. If anybody, you know, has thought about grabbing it on Discogs or whatever. But uh, it's a little, little pricey, but it actually sounds very good. Well, thanks, Mike. Thank you. We should do more of these. Yes, we should. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. And I hope people, you know, appreciated the little Brooklyn, you know, tidbits that I was able to provide. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Have a good night. Cheers. Trust and you'll be trusted. That's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, the Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care. Take care.